0: Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing the Josh Gordon situation. Why did he leave New England? What happened here? Were there any players? Would I have kept them? What would I have done if I were the New England Patriots? And what does this mean for the Seattle Seahawks? Then I'm going to get to the MLB playoffs. Finally, the wait is over. You guys have been waiting for me to talk about the MLB playoffs for a while, some of my bigger takeaways. Congrats to the Nats. We're going to get to all that. Then we're going to take a look at my um, MLB playoff, predi- uh, playoff predictions before the season even started and right before the playoffs. And then we are going to get to uh, the Celtics' last two games. They've been exciting games, both wins against the Bucs and the Knicks. So we're going to get to... First, we're going to discuss the Josh Gordon situation, so let's get to that. Josh Gordon, cut by my New England Patriots. Now, the rumor was, once he was put on the IR, that he was going to get cut, unfortunately. And I was a little bummed that it just didn't work out here. Uh, Just, I remember when we traded for him, I was just like, sweet, okay, I like this, we have the fifth round pick. Overall, looking back, us giving up a fifth round pick for Josh Gordon, in my opinion, was worth it. I know some people might say, "Well, he wasn't really that productive here," but it was a fifth round pick, and I know maybe a bit of a distraction and whatnot. But still, I'll take him. You know, he—I think overall in his career with New England, he gave you a season and a half. He gave you a total of seventeen games, for a basically close to a thousand, just over a thousand yards. Yep, just over a thousand yards receiving. He gave you a total of 60 catches, 4 touchdowns. Just, I'll take it. For a 5th round pick, sure. I'll take it. Was he incredible? Was it a steal of a trade? No. It wasn't. But reportedly, Josh Gordon was cut for the team because of how undep- undependable independable he was. He just was not dependable. He was showing up late for team meetings. He was just... Hard to kind of track sometimes. I guess you could say like they couldn't. They didn't really know what he was up to, and that's a guy you gotta know what's going on. So, and then they had Nikhil Harry coming back. You just traded from Muhammad to New. So with you cutting Josh Gordon, I I wanted to take a look at the depth chart. Were there any guys I would rather cut? Well, actually, what would I rather do with Josh Gordon? Personally, with Josh Gordon, I would have disciplined him. I wanted it to work out. I wanted him to keep Josh Gordon. I think on this se- this season, Josh Gordon, he hasn't been that productive. He has 20 catches for 287 yards and a touchdown. And he's played six games, 36 targets. I'll take it. It's not bad. He brings size. I, want- I like Josh Gordon. Has his numbers been that productive? Not really. I mean, he'll give you a few catches each game. But I thought he brought size, and he bring he's a threat. You know, if you you know if he gets a mismatch, you're kind of toast. Uh, but and was he that productive? Is he like a must keep guy? No, it wasn't like yeah he's being late for meetings, but he's you know on track for a hundred catches or something like that. He's not. But I still would have liked to keep him for the size, for just the 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 player. He you know he wasn't that productive, but he's still a great player. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, he's been a little undependable, un- but discipline him for it instead. Don't discipline him by cutting him from the team, but suspend him for a game or something. I know right now he's banged up. So that, you know, but maybe suspend him. Yeah, again, for one game, maybe two if you need to. And just tell him, listen, you gotta give him a warning and just be like, listen, you gotta start showing him for meetings. And if he doesn't or. It's only getting a little better suspended for a game. Don't just cut him. I know you had Nikhil Harry coming back. I know you just paid for Mohamed Sanu. Your wide receiver depth chart right now looks like Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, Philip Dorsett. You're obviously not cutting any of those three guys. You're getting back Nikhil Harry and Jaco- and then you have Jacoby Myers, two rookies that Nikhil Harry, you're not cutting him. Obviously, he's been a first-round pick on him. Jacoby Myers, he's shown a lot of potential. You're not cutting him. Gunnar Olszewski and Matthew Slater. So really, in reality, you've got five wide receivers. Maybe six. Olszewski can come and take a few snaps. Slater is just a wide receiver, but he's really a special teams guy. You're obviously not cutting Slater. I'm not cutting Edelman, obviously. I'm not cutting Sanu, obviously. I'm not cutting Dorsett, Harry Myers. The only one that you might have a case for cutting is Gunnar Olszewski. But I'm still not cutting him either. I I like Olszewski. He can do a lot. He brings that versatility. So you're kind of sitting there, but at the same time, I look at it. Julian Edelman, Mohamed Sanu, and Philip Dorsett are the really only real receivers I see on there. Like, yeah, Myers is kind of coming into his own, but I don't know if he's dependable like as a starter. Or, you know, your best backup option. So I just want to like Dor- uh, Gordon. Harry's come back from the injury. We don't know what we're going to get from him. Oh, Shevsky and Slater, just no. But I look at it. Some guys I would rather cut than Josh Gordon. With Harry coming back, you had to cut somebody. Keontae Davis, defensive end. He's on the IR right now. Uh, D'Angelo Ross, a cornerback? Please, I'll I'll cut him. He should have been the one you cut. D'Angelo Ross. He's on the IR. He's a cornerback. You don't need a cornerback. You have Stephon Gilmore, Jason McCourty, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Justin Bethel, Jawan Williams, not to mention all these great safeties you have, too. There's this guy, D'Angelo Ross, who's on the IR. You should have cut him instead. Kept Josh Gordon and just disciplined him. I'm not totally against cutting Josh Gordon. I just thought there were better guys to cut. And you should have just disciplined him with the suspension or something. They just didn't handle this correctly, in my situa- uh, In my opinion. I don't think they handled it poorly. But I'm just saying, I, I thought... Instead of cutting him, at least, you know, given this as mentioned. Maybe they have have given him warnings. But maybe that wasn't what's getting through. I know this guy has got a billion chances from this league. But this is different. This isn't... This this is a different situation. I would have just suspended him. Hoped he learns his lesson. If he doesn't, then you've got a, a case at cutting him. But right now, look at your receiving crew. You have no big guys except for Mohamed Sanu who's a slot receiver, he's big, he's decently sized, he's not huge, but he's decently sized, my problem is he's a slot receiver, and he doesn't play like a big dude, and Nikhil Harry, Harry's independable, he's a rookie, he's getting hurt, and we've never seen him really playing the pros before, so you just don't have that big receiver, and at tight end right now, you got Ben Watson, and then you've got Matt Lacoste, who's out, Ryan so is was questionable. There's just not no one big except for Nikhil Harry and you know who knows what's gonna happen there. So I just would like them see that uh, see them handle that differently. I wouldn't say it's a huge big you know it's a huge deal, but I would've liked them keep him and just suspend him and cut D'Angelo Ross or somebody like that. And then for the Seattle Seahawks, uh this is a pretty big pickup for them, I think. Because, yeah, they have Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf. Those are their two receivers that everybody knows. Outside of them, now you've got Josh Gordon. You've really got three receivers now. Lockett's more of that deep-field threat. I mean, you just got a ton of deep-field guys. Lockett's a smaller dude, but he, he got, he's a deep-field target. D.K. Metcalf's a downfield target, although I've seen them use him in the flat a lot and stuff. But he's a big dude. Very fast as well. Josh Gordon's kind of the same thing. He's just not fast. He's just big, and he's a good receiver. And then you got Jerron ba- Brown, who was the third receiver before this. And he he was okay. Uh, I remember, well, what was it, last game? He wasn't bad, but still, third receiver. And then you had David Moore, Malik Turner. They just didn't have a real third wide receiver, and they're a contending team. I think this is a big pickup for them. Uh, yeah, let me see Jerron Brown's stats here. Let me take a peek at these, because I don't think he was playing like a... Uh, Third wide receiver. I mean, so far this season, he hasn't been much better than Josh Gordon. He's got 14 catches to Josh Gordon's 20. He's got 205 receiving yards to Josh Gordon's 200, and what was it, 97? And then he's got two touchdowns to Josh Gordon's one. Josh Gordon's probably been better, but not by a whole lot. And I do give Josh Gordon credit, like for the fact that he has been better. One, two, he's been banged up, and I think Jaron Brown's played every single game. Josh Gordon hasn't. Yeah. We have to keep that in mind. I'm pretty sure... I, I wouldn't know this off the top of my head, but as he played every single game? Yeah, I think he has. So, Jeron Brown's played every single game. Uh, Josh Gordon's only played six of the eight games. So, Jerron Brown's got two games on him, but Josh Gordon still had the better year. Josh Gordon is better than Jeron Brown. I get that. But, still... It's not a huge, huge upgrade, but I think it's definitely going to help out the Seahawks. Uh, So that is my take on the whole Josh Gordon situation. So now we are going to get to the MLB playoffs. So let's get to that. This, I'm telling you, is the year of the underdog. The Washington Nationals win the World Series. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? I mean, I think I had the Nationals. I didn't have the Nationals making the playoffs before this year started. From their division, I had the Phillies and the Braves making the playoffs. I had the Nationals in third. I bought into the Phillies hype. I did. But it's okay. We all make our mistakes. Uh, But then this was just the year of the underdog. Outside of the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, you had the Raptors winning the NBA championship before the playoffs started. You know, when the before even the season started, middle of the season, the Rafters didn't really have great odds to win. They went into the NBA championship as the underdog. Then we had the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Before the year started, a lot of people didn't even have them making the playoffs. Then, at one point, they were the worst team in the league. They came back, win the Stanley Cup. Going into the Stanley Cup, they were the underdog entering that series. Beat my Bruins. Then... You got the Washington Nationals. Some people had them making the playoffs. I underestimated them a little bit, but at one point they were what 19 and 32. Their bullpen was trash. Then they said, "You know what? We're gonna make some moves." They made some moves to their bullpen. They worked around the bullpen. They made some moves at the trade deadline, bolstered up that bullpen. So uh, some injured players came back from their injuries, and they went on a roll. And they eventually fought their way in to a wild card spot. And they continued to beat the odds after they beat the Brewers. Then they went on to beat the Dodgers. Then they beat the Cardinals. We'll discuss why I'm sad about that in a minute. Then they beat the Astros. They continue to come back, come back, come back. Even in the World Series Game 7, I think at one point they had a 12.5% chance to win. Or 13.5% chance to win. And odds don't matter. And this is what is so great about sports. I mean, yeah, NFL hasn't reached that point yet where just the Patriots just seems like winning every single year. But you never know. I felt like you know in the NBA championship, oh, the Warriors are just gonna come in here and easily win. Yes, we could argue injuries are the reason Raptors won, but this was the year of the underdog, and the Nationals put a good, uh, really uh, showed that statement. I mean, in the four major sports, we had three underdogs win, so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, But I want to discuss the decision. Uh, First of all, I think Juan Soto had a a good chance at uh, series MVP. I know Strasburg played well, but still. Uh, We didn't didn't see Garrett Cole pitch in that game seven. Zach Greinke was great, but he reached a point in that game where he started to struggle. But we saw Zach Greinke starts the inning, gave up a one-run homer to Anthony Rendon. And now all of a sudden it's a two to one ball game. Then Juan Soto comes up to plate, and they walk Juan Soto. So now all of a sudden it's just like, all right, we gotta pull Greinke. They're in the heart of their lineup right now. Rendon, I know Rendon and Soto are probably their two best hitters, but they're near the meat of their lineup, and you just gotta take them out. Instead, they bring in Will Harris. Now a lot of people thought, let's bring in Jericho Cole, get out of this this pinch, and um, what's the word? Just get out of this inning and keep the lead. The problem was there was a agreement made between Hinch and Cole before the game. Two rules before the game started. Cole would not come in in the middle of the inning, and he was not going to come into a game where Houston was trailing. So the, the problem with that, they were winning, but they were also trailing. Uh, it was also the middle of the inning. I guess which makes sense, Cole was on, he, he just pitched two days ago, so he's only on two days of rest. So Cole was probably only going to be available for an inning. And you probably wanted him to be ready. He was warming up earlier in that game. So maybe if the Astros just pitched him at the beginning of the inning, maybe, I I don't blame them though. Here's my thing. Yes, Greinke was getting to the end. You knew that. But he'd been pitching great up to that point. You said, just get through one more inning. That's what you thought. So once you threw Greinke out there, there was no going back. Unless you wanted to throw in a reliever. You couldn't pitch Cole as soon as you put Cranky in. Cole wanted it his way. His way or the highway. It seems like all he cares about is money, though. I don't have a lot of respect for Derek Cole after this decision. It's clear what was happening there. This was not a baseball move. It sounded like, because Cole's a free agent right now, it sounded like he wanted to be in a good spot. I don't blame him for wanting to like start in an inning. You know, start press I mean, he's coming off of two days of rest. I think he, he deserves to have some sort of say. But this is Game 7 of the World Series. Your team's depending on you. And you're just like, well, we have to be winning and I have to start the So they were planning on closing him out, assuming they had the lead, which they didn't. So they never got to pitch him. But it felt like, yeah, just come in and do it for your team. You know, this could be your last rodeo. This is World Series Game 7. But he was just being greedy. It felt like he wanted to set himself up for success. That he, you know, this is a big game for him. This is a, you know, he pitched well before this, but this was a big moment for him. So he said, "I want the lead, and I want to be able to start the inning." He wanted the circumstances be as perfect as possible for him to show off and maybe make a little extra dough. That's my opinion because I think he he doesn't want to go out there down by two runs in the middle of an inning, get thrown in the middle of a bad situation. What he wants is to be able to close out this World Series, like ninth inning, they've got the lead. Uh, and he can just trot out there. He can warm up, take his time, you know, no pressure. He's not throwing into a bad I mean, there's pressure, but he's not thrown into too bad of a situation where the nationals have got some momentum. He wanted the situation to be right so he could look good and make a little extra dough. He didn't want to th- be thrown into the middle of the inning because he knew if he was thrown into the middle of an inning, it was gonna be in a bad situation. He didn't want to be put in a bad situation, he didn't want to pitch when they were losing, he didn't want to, you know, risk throwing out his arm. Even though it was World Series Game Seven, he didn't want to be put in a spot where he couldn't shine. Just a selfish, de- uh, se- selfish decision, in my opinion. Uh, let's take a look at my MLB playoff predictions. Uh, we'll go start with the. We're going to start with the American League AL Wild Card. I picked the Athletics to win. The Rays actually won. If you remember, I was debating between these two. I was like, I don't know who to pick here. I'm going to go with the Athletics, but it's going to be really close. The Rays ended up winning, even though it was in Oakland. Uh, then we move over to the ALDS. Uh, first, I had Athletics versus Astros. I had the Astros winning 3-1. to one. It was really the Rays versus the Astros, but the Astros won that series. Anyway, then I had the Twins versus Yankees. I had the Yankees winning 3-2, to two, but they uh, swept the Twins. So I got the prediction right. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... In the ALCS, I had the Yankees beating the Astros. I mean, I had the Astros beating the Yankees, and I was right about that one. So, overall, I did very well in the American League. I just messed up the wildcard game. I was picture perfect outside of, yeah, my game by game, but overall, just as a series, if I picked the Athletics to beat the Rays, if I picked the Rays to beat the Athletics, my AL predictions were perfect. Then the NL is where it gets a little sketchy. I did get the NL wildcard right. The Nationals beating the Brewers. I got that one right. Imagine that. The Braves were up in the eighth inning. I mean, the Brewers. Why did I say the Braves? The Brewers were up in the eighth inning of that game, 3 to one If the Brewers end up winning that game, the Nationals go from World Series champs to losing in the wildcard game. Crazy. Crazy how that works. Then Nationals versus Dodgers. I had the Dodgers sweeping the Nationals. Yeah, it doesn't look too great. Uh, then I had the Cardinals beating the Braves. Give me credit there. I was right. Uh, I was high on the Cardinals before the season started. Then I ticked them to win the whole thing. Uh, and then in the NLCS, I had the Cardinals beating the Dodgers. It turns out the Cardinals would go on to lose to the Nationals. So the Nationals kind of just screwed up my whole bracket. And then I had the Cardinals beating the Astros. So technically, I did pick. I don't think I did that bad. I got the AL wild card wrong. I got uh, NL, uh, Dodgers, Nationals series wrong, and then I kind of just screwed it up from there, but I don't think I did horrendous, I didn't do fantastic either, I've definitely done better before, uh, but congratulations to the Nationals, I, I, the Jarrett Cole situation's really the biggest topic I want to get to, though, that, that just, um, that's just crazy to me, it was a selfish decision selfish decision, in my opinion. So, now we are going to get to the Celtics' past two games, so let's get to that. Okay, the Celtics pulling up with two exciting, exciting games and exciting wins. The Bucs game was great. The Knicks game was a little ugly, but it was exciting. This is what this Celtics team is. They are different. You swap Kyrie out with Kemba Walker, and I know you lose Al Horford, you lose Marcus Morris, this and that. But for the big picture, Kyrie for Kemba. Kyrie is clearly the better player. Get Kemba Walker is the better fit. He brings better energy. And I want to read this quote on why this is different. Remember when Kyrie didn't get to take the last shot. Remember that game in Orlando when he didn't take the last shot? Give and given they missed. But still, read this from Kemba. First of all, he said, this isn't one I really want you to know, but the next quote I'm going to tell you. First, just hear this. That kid is so talented, wa- Talented, Walker said, according to Tal- Tom Westerholm of Mass Live. I'm happy for him, and I'm happy he made the shot. It was a huge, big-time shot, and I'm happy we went to him. Hopefully, that keeps him confident that can... Re- That can really just get something going for us. Unbelievable play. Just complimenting Tatum. Happy it went to him. Kyrie last year when Hayward got... I mean, yeah, Hayward missed. I get that. Okay, I know Hayward missed. But Kevin Walker wouldn't go rant on him like that. And even if Hayward made that, I think Kyrie in the back of his mind would be like, I should have taken the shot. Then he says, I probably would have taken that shot a lot of times back in Charlotte. But I mean, I don't mind, added Walker. I like having other guys being able to take that shot. I'm not saying Kemba shouldn't be the one taking that shot. I think if I had to choose somebody, I'd take Kemba. But it's this is what's different about this year's Celtics team. This. You have a different leader. Last year, Kyrie, it had to be him. It was his way or the highway. Kemba, more open to you know this change. Oh, I mean, if he can make it, whatever works for the team. This is why this year's Celtics team is different. Plus, they are exciting. They are exciting in the team. This is different. Okay? They don't have these type of chemistry issues anymore. This isn't the—I mean, I'm, I'm not saying their chemistry is picture-perfect and it's the best in the league, but it, it's just different around here now. It, it is. No Kyrie, now you got Kemba. It, there's a different vibe. There really is. First game, the Bucks game. First of all, it's clear the Celtics seems a second-half team. They are horrible. They are horrible in the first half of games. And it's going to catch up to them. The Bucks made some mistakes. In that game. Like, third quarter, they got so lazy. They were turning the ball over. Wide open players under the hoop. They got lazy. But this Celtics team just doesn't pick it up until the second half. That's how they go. And it's going to catch up to them. They've got to start playing more of a complete game. Because they don't. They play great in the second half. And they make it really a game. They do. But in this Bucks game, the Bucks had a comfortable double-digit lead for over half the game. The second half, even the beginning of the third quarter, they had a comfortable 10-point lead. Then you came in and really just wrecked havoc, but Giannis was not very good in this game. 22 points on a pretty bad efficiency. That's thanks to Marcus Smart. He was key. Marcus Smart was really the X-factor in this game. He scored 19 points. He was draining threes, incredible defensively. Uh, he was Marcus Smart was your X-factor. He didn't lead the team in points. But he still put up 19, which is much more than you usually ask for. Him. He's hitting threes on an efficient rate. He's really doing a great job in Giannis. 22 points is still a lot, but for Giannis, especially in the efficiency he shot, not very good. So, I, I like that. I mean, Chris Middleton stepped up, scored 26. He had some big buckets. Uh, he, he was hitting a ton of shots at the buzzer. Jeez. But they didn't, I mean, there were some lucky shots. Like Chris Middleton, that shot, with like a half second left of the game clock, he turned around, hit that three. I saw Kyle Corver hit some lucky shots. Robin Lopez hit a three. That type of stuff. For the most part, you know, his defense was pretty weak in that first half. Then the Bucks are making mental mistakes. And once that Celtics team gets momentum at the TD Garden, forget it. Because, one, the TD Garden, Celtics have some of the best fans in the league. Maybe the best. I don't want to brag so I'm one of them, but... In the TD Garden, this is an exciting team. When you give them momentum, forget it. You can't do it, especially late in the game. When you're kind of running out of timeouts, and there's not a lot of time. I was proud of the Celtics effort. I did not expect them to beat the Bucks. I didn't. But they were horrible. I, I wouldn't say horrible. They were eh, They just hung in there for most of the game. It took them about two and a half quarters until they really started being playing better. The Bucs overall played better for a majority of that game. I'd say the Bucs played better than the Celtics for about 36 minutes. And the Celtics played better for about 24. So in reality, the Bucs should have won that game, but they didn't. The Celtics just hung in there. Hung in. They were you know, down by double digits. Bucks had a comfortable double-digit lead. They started to get lazy. Celtics capitalized. That is key. I loved what the Celtics did in that Bucks game, but they need to play more of a complete game. I will say that. But the Bucks just got lazy. They are a flawed team, so very good, but then you got the next game. This one was scary. This one I said, "All right, yeah, you beat the Bucks, but can you prove to me? I know I not for real, but can you can you I think kind of put the icing on the cake. Put the bow on the present." This was that type of game. That's what it felt like. You're not facing a great Knicks team. Yeah, you had an impressive win against the Bucs. But can you back that up? Because remember last year, we get an impressive win, and then we just collapse? I don't want to see that. I feel like that's like a mentality. All right, make sure they don't collapse after a big win. They didn't. They didn't play a great game here against the Knicks, but they still won, and they still were decent. Marcus Morris went off against you. 29 points. He kept getting to the free throw line late in that game. He hits the major three. He was probably their best player Um Frank Nito-Kina really stepped up, too. They did, They had a short rotation. Jeez, they only played eight guys. All of them took count in the heavy minutes. The one that played the least was Mitchell Robinson only 16 minutes. That was a little odd. I think he should be playing more than 16 minutes. He wasn't even that great in this game, but still. The Celtics, though, I mean, you let them get to the free throw line. 21 free throws isn't a lot. You had 29. But Marcus Morris, I mean, oh, my gosh. He, he had, what, five free throws there in the last minute? But that was a super exciting finish. Super, super exciting. Sounds weird. Uh, but Marcus Morris hits that three. Then Jason Tatum comes back and answers. And that's where Kemba Walker's quote came from. You didn't shoot very efficiently from three. 32%. But the Celtics just, they hung in there. They got out-rebounded. Uh, uh, that sounds weird. Out-rebounded. Um, they, they Overall, the Knicks were better in the paint. And they shot better from three. The Celtics still won. The Celtics just find ways to win. That's what this feels like. This is the type of team, they're an exciting team. It feels like they just go out there and they just pump you up. Celtics basketball. Last year, Celtics basketball was depressing. This year, you want to tune in. I didn't want to tune in to someone's last game. It was so frustrating. It's like a headache. But you just feel dragged in. Like As a Celtics fan, like it, it was so weird because it was like, it was like I was having a headache. Why am I watching this? But then they get an oppressive win, and you just want to watch. Like they had that West Coast trip that was great. They sweep the Pacers. Like they 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 have these like good stretches. They're like highs and lows, highs and lows. It's just like super inconsistent. All of a sudden, like and it's just a headache because oh, it was just so bad this year. It's more of, so far. It's only been five games, but you're four and one. There's more consistency, and it's not a headache. You are going to lose some games. There are going to be some games that are ugly. You are going to lose, and it's going to be like, ugh. But that's not going to happen in one every two or to three games, like last year's Celtics team. Every three games, I felt like there was a game that made me want to punch my TV and completely give up on the NBA. Just get away from it. You're, you're hurting yourself. There may be a few games without with the Celtics, but they're not going to you know, let that carry on into the locker room. They're just going to say, all right, we need to be better. It's new leadership here. It's a new vibe, and it's clear. This team loves being around each other, bonding really well, new leadership. It's a new vibe in Boston. Are they title contenders this year? No. They remind me of last year's Brooklyn Nets team with a little bit higher expectations because they're Boston, and they're a little better than last year's Nets team, in my opinion. They're kind of playing with nothing clues. They're an exciting, on the younger side, they're a you know younger team. With a star point guard that hasn't really got the chance to really be the guy on a playoff team. And it's just like an exciting vibe to it. They're just an exciting young team that kind of goes out there almost with nothing to lose, it feels like. Almost somewhat like there's nothing to lose. And they're just exciting. Will the Celtics team make the Eastern Conference Finals? Maybe. I am losing in the first round. Over exaggeration? Possibly. They are going to make the playoffs. They can go anywhere from the first round to maybe the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't see them making the NBA Finals. Would I be absolutely shocked if they make the NBA Finals? No. Would I be surprised? Yes. Shocked? No. If they win the NBA Finals, I'd be absolutely shocked. That would be... uh, No. I don't even see them making the NBA Finals. Eastern Conference would be an accomplishment. Uh, But this is just a, a fun young team. Again, this is just a year where go out there have your young core prove something, gel these guys together, put up a decent showing, make a bid for some free agents. Like, you know, kind of like what the Clippers did last year, make an oppressive showing. You know, have a, a oppressive, you know, it's like a um, almost like, I don't know what to say. I mean, they don't have a lot of money, but just go out there and maybe attract a few decent players. And then in the draft, and have some of these young players develop, maybe Tatum and Brown take that next step next year, and even Smart – this is, they're not, again, they're not a title contender right now, but th- they're, they're taking that right step in the right direction. It's just going to be an exciting year just to enjoy it. It stinks to say that we're not going to win the finals, but it's just going to be an exciting young year. Almost feels like we're stuck, but we're not. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. That's all I've got to say today. Again, go follow my Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase no spaces. Again, that's at After the buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase no spaces for podcast updates and sports content. Also, Anchor Mobile app. Go on Google Play or at the App Store, Apple App Store, whatever it's called, uh, and download the Anchor Mobile app. Type in After the Buzzer Sports Talk on the search bar and send in a voice message. If you don't want to get the app or you can't, Go on Safari or Google or whatever you have and type in After the Brothers Sports Talk by Aid Mayer on Anchor. The link should pop up. You can send in a voice message that way. Any hot takes. You have anything you want to discuss with me. Anything is on the table. Doesn't have to be something I just talked about today. Again, anything's on the table. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.